Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is Steve Hargadon, and it's uh, Thursday night, April 24, April 23rd, 2009. Welcome to the Future of Education. We're glad to have you with us here tonight. You should be hearing audio. Thanks, Karen. Um, if this is your first time at Illuminate, I want to give you a very brief overview of how Illuminate works. Uh, you will have a chance to ask questions tonight. Uh, up at the top on the the toolbar at the top of your screen, you'll see a green check and a red X. If the um, guests tonight want to ask you a yes or no question, they can do so. We can even do multiple choice. But that's where you would click to answer yes or no. And I'll probably ask you one as we get started. At the bottom of your participants window, you'll see some emoticons, little symbols. There's a hand with some red rays coming out of it that indicates clapping. So if you're excited about something you hear, you can clap. You can smile. You're welcome to test these out while I'm talking about them. There's a confused face. If you feel like something's confusing, you can indicate confusion. If you're mad or disapproved, there's the thumbs down. You don't see that often. There's a big one with a hand and an up arrow, and that's raising your hand. And as you do that, that indicates you want to take the microphone or you want to um, get our attention. So please feel free to do that at some point if it's uh, okay if you need to, and we'll also let you know when we're getting close to questions and you can uh, raise your hand to ask a question. Um, I find that the chat window in the default view is very small for me. So I'm going to recommend that you go up to Tools. I'm sorry, go up to View and Layouts and switch to the wide layout. That wide layout works a lot better for me and I'm able to see the chat. Okay, um, there is a, in the chat area, there's a box down at the bottom where you can uh, leave a message to the group as a whole or you can send a private message. You need to be warned that if you click on that uh, drop-down box and select another participant to send a message to, uh, they will get it, but so will the moderators. So nothing is completely private and don't want you to send a message thinking that it's completely private and it's not. Um, I, uh, we have a fun uh, show tonight. Uh, we have Ann Schreiber from Kariki and Karen Fassenpower from K-12 Open Ed. Uh, we're delighted to have both of them here. Uh, and our topic is open content education. So why don't we start, uh, and could we ask you to introduce yourself, uh, give us a little bit of your background, um, and then we'll have Karen do the same. And after that, we'll, we'll try and define what open content is. So go ahead, Ann. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Steve? Hello? That, that smiley face means, yes, I can hear you. There you go, I'll do it again. <laughs> All right. I didn't even see the smiley face. Okay, so I'm Ann Schreiber, and I'm the Chief Academic Officer at Kariki. And um, for those of you who don't know, Kariki is a K-12 open source uh, content sharing site. We have a repository of open content and we're trying to build out to really full-scale comprehensive units and whole courses covering all the course subjects in K-12. Um, we also have tools for contribution 
And we also have tools for group um, to get together and work collaboratively on the development of curriculum. And right now the site is mostly focused on teachers, although we have a big parent audience as well. Um, I come from, this is really my, my I've been with Curriculum for almost three years, and this is really the first time in my life that I've been um, doing the not-for-profit world. Curriculum is a, a .org and it's a, a, a social mission. And before that, um, I wasn't doing not social missions, but it was in the for-profit world, um, and I worked in educational publishing companies for basically the last 20 years. So I was um, at Scholastic for about 12, 15 years in and out, something like that. And um, most of the time there, what I was doing was developing large-scale uh, curriculum products that integrated technology with print and, and were basically big, comprehensive multimedia products projects um, that had, that had um, uh, big curriculum implementations in large school districts, both in literacy, science, some math products, those kinds of reading comprehension, assessment, those kinds of things. I also was um, uh, worked at McGraw-Hill for some time, time, Time Inc. for some time, always in the role of content and programming and always integrating technology into whatever the projects, whatever the content projects were that we were doing. So that's, that's the background that I'm coming from. So it's a very interesting thing to watch the development of open source content and really watch um, people collaboratively develop things, review things, um, you know, crowdsource things, peer review, because it's a very different process than the publishing model, but it, it also has some similarities. So it's very interesting. It's been very interesting for me. I'm very excited to drill down at the There you go. Perfect. You turned your mic off. Thank you so much. So I pulled up on a web tour the Curriki site, and, and we'll, we'll give you a chance to kind of show us around there. Uh, and also, you know, I, I'm very interested to ask some questions about um, the difference between collaboration and, and sharing, but we'll get to that. Karen, I'm going to pull up your K-12 Open Ed site, and would you do the same? Would you give a little uh, introduction to yourself? Absolutely. Um, good evening or where, good morning or good afternoon, depending on where you all are. Um, I'm Karen Fassenpower, and I am one of the co-founders of the K-12 Open Ed website. And I do a lot of work just building advocacy for open education, specifically in, in the K-12 space. And one of our projects at K-12 Open Ed is the Kids Open Dictionary, which we're very excited about. And then we're also working on uh, content project that is going to be a website and a CD of open content that's basically gathered from a variety of sources. And the impetus from that project came from just looking at all the great open content that's out there, but knowing how much of it is blocked in K-12 schools, so trying to make that available in some other formats. Um, and my my real job is I work with schools with mobile technology through K-12 handhelds. And I've worked with educational technology. And, and really, my focus is curriculum integration. I've done that for about 15 years. Um, I worked prior to working in technology, somewhat to my embarrassment now. I worked in textbook publishing. Um, but it was, great, it was great background for getting into this. So I'm excited to be here tonight. You're not getting my audio, are you? Shoot. Oh, no, your audio came through fine. I was you did. making a, a, con, a funny, confused face that you would be embarrassed about having been in the textbook industry. <laughs> I thought I was talking and no one was hearing me. <laughs> oh, no, we heard you. Okay, it's really delightful to have both of you here. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Karen. 
um, and ask you, um, what's the elevator pitch for open content? What, what, how do you describe this to people quickly and easily so they have some understanding of what you're talking about? I think the elevator pitch is that it's content that is non-proprietary and completely shareable and able to be used in a variety of, of contexts. And it's funny, that kind of, when you said you were about the textbook publishing, um, I somewhat think of the, the textbook publishing uh, industry now almost as the enemy of education. And I say that because I, I do a lot of work in differentiating instruction and really trying to adapt content to a variety of learners. And it's, it's, almost, it's really difficult to do that with textbooks, in part because they're a static format, but also because even, you know, even provided in electronic format, they're not able to be, to be um, adapted most generally legally, but also in the way they provide it technically to be able to be used for a variety of learning environments. And I think that's what really differentiates open content. So I'm going to do a quick poll here. Uh, if you've come to this session with a pretty good understanding to think of open content, would you click on the green check at the top of your um, screen? And if you've come here not really feeling like you understood what open content was, but trying to get a better understanding, would you click on the red X? It looks like more have come with the understanding, and, and a few uh, hoping to get some understanding. I guess the reason I asked you that question, Karen, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll let Ann kind of answer now as well, which is, how much do people really want to collaborate and how much do they want to share? And does sometimes the language of collaboration um, confuse people who are thinking just about sharing? I, I kind of, this is Anne. I want to answer even a, a little bit of a different question, which is about, um, about modifying in general. I think that one of the things that we've really discovered is, and, and this is not just through watching the activities on the site, which is one way we've discovered it, but also through focus group, through surveys on the site, really through talking to people, is that teachers are, are very polite with each other and they're very supportive of each other and they're not in the habit of wanting to change other people's stuff. And so it's a very interesting thing trying to um, get people to submit something that might be changed because that's scary in itself when they think that it's good and they, they're excited to share it and then somebody might come along and change it. And then um, the idea that, that to, to go and actually change somebody else's stuff is also a scary thing because, you know, I think that people look at it as, as kind of impolite. It's not what people usually do. So I think that, that the model of collaboration is an interesting one because if you can actually work together to create something, then you're really engaged in that activity. And, and, and I think that that's kind of the next step up from sharing. Sharing is certainly a, a great thing, but I think people share, you know, that, that's sort of the first step. And then to really collaborate or, to, or especially to modify is kind of the next level when they're, when they're doing something that's really out of scope of what the usual activity is. 
Do you think that you most think educators, that educators um, understand, um, that, understand that, message? that message? I know that when I've been talking about, and I'm going to ask you to turn your mic off because you don't hear it, but it gives us an echo when your mic's still on. When I, I can remember talking about open source software and that there was a really a big change when people became familiar with Wikipedia because I could point to that as an example of why people would create things of value uh, without charging for them. But I also have noticed that Wikipedia tends to be a very intimidating example. So Karen, what example do you use when people, when people are asking you about this? Is there a simple kind of example you can give that helps people to understand the idea of open content? I think you know Wikipedia is certainly an example that I that I share, um, and I think that really helps people to see the value of it. But I think you're right that people are very intimidated to think about collaborating. One of my favorite activities to do in the classroom, though, is to go in with a group of kids and edit a Wikipedia article, and I think to have them see um, that, that doing that is easy and then to talk about that it adds value and frequently to you know, also get into a conversation about um, the pros and cons of, of collaboration and a, and a multitude of different viewpoints is a really interesting conversation that I find that kids often grasp a lot faster than adults do. So is there an example site you give? And Anne, you've raised your hand. Good job. So go ahead and say what you want to say. I, I, I just wanted to say that um, we actually did a, a study last year that was quite interesting with a college of education. We had a professor um, who taught pre-service teachers, so they were you know, young students. And he did a survey and asked them about their feelings about um, I'm going to just unraise my hand because it's blinking at me. They asked their feelings about uh, wikis. Had they ever used one? Had they contributed? Do they know what it was? Are they familiar with the idea of sharing? And interestingly, 99% or even or maybe it was even 100% knew all about this. And their experience, of course, was Wikipedia. But then when he probed further and asked, have you contributed to one? Have you modified? Have you used the tools of a wiki? Even though these were young people, almost none of them had done that. So people, I think that Wikipedia is very useful for people as an example of what, what could happen. But actually, you know, people's, people's actual participation in this is quite limited. So do you find that you have to help people understand the difference between free and open? Sorry, I pressed the wrong button. Um, you know, there's, I think that there's a lot of, what we've been, very fascinated with is uh, defining really what an active, engaged participant of our site means. And what we've been thinking is that there's, there's really um, a kind of a starting point, and then you go from there, and then you do something else, and you do something else. So many people come onto our site and just, just to find stuff. And in that case, the idea of free is what's driving that. It's, it's good content, it's quality content, and it's free content. The next step, though, is this idea that it's modifiable. And that's where you know, the difference between free and open source obviously comes into play. So 
you know, getting somebody to go from just taking something from the site to doing something with it. And, and you know, the, the big thing to do with it would be to contribute something, but even little things like adding a comment to it or editing something or saving something to a collection is kind of a, a, somebody who's being more engaged with the content than just somebody who's going to come on and grab something. So I think as people get more familiar, they move from, oh, look, it's a repository, it's free, to it's open and I can use it and do things with it to make it my own. So does this mostly end up being conversations about text-based material, or do the examples of Flickr uh, photos that are licensed in certain ways, does that example help people to better understand sharing? I, I think that's a really interesting question, Steve, and I think that we've been, um, you, we've really tried to, we have a tool on our site called um, Vita talk and it's, it's kind of like a you know it's like a, a YouTube video widget um, that allows people to save videos on the site and we've been really pushing 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 to get people to um, take lessons and actually create videos of themselves demonstrating how to do a master lesson using these videos we also I think that I saw Rushton on the site uh, I, I mean on this in this uh, meeting tonight um, and so we also have some videos from next Vista so we we try to put videos up and have that be part of this experience I, I definitely think that people think more about modifying text than they do about modifying anything that's in a multimedia format and yes, thank you, Rushton. We're happy to have you on the site. Your stuff is fantastic. So Karen, what about you? Um, because one of the things I like to do is to point people to the Creative Commons search for Flickr, which allows them to find photographs that they can use, which are not necessarily going to be modified, but for the most part, just that they're able to use them, that they're licensed in a way that they are able to use them. Do you end up pointing to non-text sites? Absolutely, and I think actually the the um, rate of acceptance that I've seen with teachers using non-text content is a lot higher than the text-based stuff. So we do a lot with Flickr, CC Mixter, um, Open Photos. Um, there's actually, if people go to k12opened.com slash content, there is a whole listing of different multimedia resources that are open licensed. And what's really nice about that, I see a question about is Flickr modifiable. If you search um, any of these for uh, things that are licensed under um, the CC licenses that allow modifications, so for example, CC BY or CC NC, um, the, the the, there's one category that you can't modify, but the rest you can, and a lot of Flickr is like that. And those are just great resources for people to use. Flickr has over 100 million open license photos now, so it's just a tremendous resource. So has anybody else used this site? Uh, I heard a trick recently that I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but I know that when I have searched here, in order to search again, I have to. I think I have to go up to the top box um, to have it search for Creative Commons licensed photos. And I don't know if you can see here, but uh, I think it's um, not clear. But you can search for works for commercial purposes or. And I can't even see what the other options are, but it does give you a couple of different of the Creative Commons options. 
So, uh, Anne, would it be fair to call on you to ask you to talk a little bit about licensing uh, and uh, what licensing decisions you've had to make at Curriculum and what the options are for licensing and open content? Um, we we actually made the decision early on to support multiple Creative Commons licenses, and that was you know something we went back and forth on because obviously we wanted the least restrictive license, and our default license is the least restrictive license. It's uh, um, I, I can never remember all the the nomenclature of it, but it's uh, CC by Sharelite. Uh, gosh, I, I, I'm going to get I'm going to get confused by the language of it. But it's it's you know you can make derivative works and you just have to uh, credit the person with it. Um, and and but people can come on and they can choose other licenses. We do have some partners that um, have chosen to have non-derivative materials on the site, and and we don't encourage that, but we understand um, why they might choose that. Um, you know, it obviously makes everything a little bit more complex. Um, so, so we try to encourage people to use the, the least restrictive license available, but we do accept a variety of licenses. Um, and, and we also try to educate people. We, in our license choices, we obviously have links and, and try to send people over to the Creative Commons site. And when we talk to partners, it's really an education process in working with them and trying to understand the different licensing structure, structures and why it might benefit them to you know, be as open as possible in their choices. Yes, and I saw Karen's comment, public domain is most open, and obviously, in fact, you know, when we first started the site and we didn't have a lot of content, we kind of started by searching through some of the public domain stuff, and, and that's what formed, you know, some of the starting points of, of where we began on the site. But we really didn't want to, we, we didn't want to just choose one license and stop there, um, because we did want to, you know, this is an education process for people, and we, some of our partners are publishers, and they, uh, have an interest in you know protecting their materials in one way or another, and moving them into this process and, and gradually getting them to you know be more and more open to it is is one of the things that we try to do. So um, it is a process and it's evolving for everybody that we work with. So Karen, um, what about you and licensing? Have you made any licensing decisions, or do you have any preferences? We actually have made a licensing decision on our open dictionary, and we've we've thought and talked a lot about licensing. And it's something that's, you know, it's kind of a complex issue for a lot of people to think through. Um, licenses like the share alike license sound um, intuitively really appealing, um, but one of the so the share alike license for people who aren't familiar with it means that you can do what you want with the content, but you have to license your derivative work also under a sharing license. So it sort of enforces sharing down the road. Um, one of the one of the problems we have with that in the classroom is it leaves you unable to mix with content that's not share alike. So as an example, if uh, I have a a school that we're working with where a textbook publisher has given us permission to use some of their content in um, resources, electronic resources that we're making. We can't ever use, we can't ever mix that with share alike content, content because we can't share alike the publisher's content. So it's sometimes those licenses are restrictive in ways people don't always think of. And I really, I agree with Anne that uh, among the Creative Commons license, the Creative Commons by license is really the, the most open and sort of easily um, shareable. Um, on our dictionary, we actually decided to license it public domain because we really felt like the whole purpose for the dictionary is it's, it's an open dictionary of things written in 
um, sort of kid language. And it's something we thought could fit into so many resources, because almost every resource people do has some kind of glossary or something. And we wanted it to be usable just without any restrictions at all. So we, we decided to go with public domain on that. OK, so public domain is not a Creative Commons license. It's just saying we're putting this material out without any licensing restrictions on it? That's correct. It's, it's saying this belongs to the public you know, as a whole, and anybody can do anything they want with it. So it's really um, sort of people who decide to put things in public domain are really just revoking their ownership and copyright. And I even put some of my personal photos I put up under public domain or under the, the least restrictive, because it doesn't really matter to me. And, uh, Yes, the, the public domain means there's no attribution required. You know, certainly you can always choose to um, attribute things. And, and in a classroom situation, I always tell kids, do, do a source, cite your source even if it's, even if it's public domain, because I think academically that's important. But legally, no requirement. It's out there. Anybody can do what they want with it. So as I look at these um, license conditions for Creative Commons, and Anne experienced this a little too, which is I, I actually have to go to the site sometimes and look them up to make sure I understand them. Uh, are they a little complicated? And Anne, why don't you tackle that one? Is the license complicated? I mean, I, you know, yes, and I, I think um, they're not horribly complicated, but there's there's a bunch of them, and each has a different type of restriction, and 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 the way they work together, I think, is the part that's most complicated. So, as Karen was saying, one of the one of the real barriers is that you can't mix and match materials with different licenses, and so we, you know, and 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 it's also not exactly clear how far you can push it and what you can and can't do. So, you know, we have collections. We have the ability on the site to have collections. It's a main it's a main use case on the site. People come on and they can pick different things and favorite it, and now you have all your materials that you've saved in your nice you know, fourth grade social studies collection or whatever. And, it, and the materials need to revert to the, the most restrictive license. So having this kind of mix and match thing, it makes it very difficult when you don't have the same um, licenses. And this is something, again, as I was saying, when we work with partners, a big part of what we do is an education process about the different kinds of licenses. Yeah, that's interesting because my immediate reaction to the public domain question was, or the use of putting stuff out in public domain was, that it didn't feel to me that it actually was helping to educate people around these licensing concepts of sharing. And, and then I started thinking, well, but it's also actually kind of hard to explain these different Creative Commons licenses to someone who's never encountered them before. So I guess that would be my next question, my which is, question, are we missing which is, something we missing educationally something when it just goes into public domain? I, I just I wanted to say one thing. I know that um, David Wiley was going to try to be here and he didn't make it, but um, we're, we've been talking to him. Um, we're we're, we're going to be doing a project which is funded by the Hearst Foundation. When we're working with a number of university professors who work with pre-service and in-service teachers, and we they are going to um, work collaboratively on Curriki to build a really fantastic course for in-service and pre-service teachers, all about open educational resources. It's really exciting. 
Um, and one of the things that, and David's already doing kind of a, a variation of this for another grant that he's working on. And, and what he'll tell, one of the things that he's been working on is a, I, I don't want to describe it for him because I won't do it justice, but it's basically an interactive card game that he has his students work with, you know, over several sessions where they're mixing and matching different licenses and, you know, they have to win and lose by if they, you know, have a legal collection or not. So it's something that he really works, you know, these are not obviously, you know, K-12 kids, but people who are going to be teachers and who are looking at how you combine materials and what's legal and what's not and what, you know, what, how you can work with these things. He really, you know, he's developed a, a, a large interactive piece that helps educate them in this way because it really is an education process. So I'd like to actually ask Rush then, who, who could easily have been a guest on the show tonight, but is in as a uh, contributing audience. Rush, then I'm going to give you the mic. Um, what licensing decisions have you made, um, and, and do you have any thoughts on this? Hi. Uh, type in a yes if you're hearing me okay. I see a, I see a happy hand, so it sounds good. Um, my, my honor to, to add anything to this conversation, especially with the two people who are, are presenting, <laughs> fantastic folks. Um, when, what we originally decided was that we would go with Creative Commons uh, attribution and non-commercial uh, licenses for everything on our site. We, we haven't done a very good job of getting information about that out there and even on the site, uh, but we feel that that's, that that's probably the way to go. Bobby Kirshen of uh, Kariki actually uh, started explaining to me at one point why the uh, non-commercial might not be a good thing to do. And, and that moved me down that road, but then my road diverged. Uh, a certain number of tangents rule my life, I guess. But, but at any rate, that, that's what we do. We, we figure that all of the videos on our site should be available for people to, to download and to use. Uh, and as long as um, you know, as long as they're 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 really working hard to make sure that this is this is something educational, then we're happy with it. Thanks, Rushton. Okay, so uh, let's actually pull your website up here, nextvista.org, right? You can hear me typing, I'm sure. Let me just give you a plug here. Okay, so um, I would like uh, to actually look at both K-12 Open Ed and Curriki a little for drill down, if we could do that. So uh, after Next Vista, uh, what did I do wrong here? Are you seeing it on your screens? Because I'm not seeing it on mine. So Russian, that's uh, nextvista.org, right? I wonder if it's possibly down. Oh, so maybe some of you are getting it and some of us aren't. Uh, mine, I'm getting a notice saying uh, it's not loading right now. Okay, well I'm going to publish the uh, the URL to the list at least, or Russians probably put it in there already, and you can go look at it. So, um, so Anne, can we look at Kariki and can you give us a little bit of a tour? Not exactly sure how to do that on Illuminate. Do I? Should I? Uh, do you drive or do I drive? How do we? Can I? I so so I'll Let's just go from from the I'll just go from the home page and talk from there. 
Um, so basically, the, 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 the big ideas of the site are these three buckets that you see on the top, which are find, contribute, and connect. So what we're hoping people will do is, is engage in these three processes. So first of all, it's a repository of content. All the content of the site is licensed under one of the Creative Commons license or public domain. Um, and we have, uh, we have kind of two different strands of content. We have content that we're building out to really be a comprehensive database for K-12. So those will be whole units of study or whole courses. And we're getting um, that content, we're filling out the, the roadmap of content in that way a number of different ways. We are right now engaged in a process called our Summer of Content in which we widely um, asked teachers, master teachers and people out there to um, contribute ideas for building curriculum. And they are, they're engaged during the summer in building curriculum in their areas of expertise. And we're going to put those units on the site. We also work with a large number of partners. And those partners um, donate material that is, you know, often the case paid material or sometimes it's grant-funded material. Um, we have partners like Sesame Workshop. Um, uh, Teacher Domain is one of our partners. We work with several of the NSDL uh, projects. We are working with the National Middle School Portal. Um, we work with Rushton's group. We, we work with um, Nortel, a number of different uh, partners who contribute their materials as well. And we're kind of in the process right now of categorizing them and matching them against a, a K-12 comprehensive curriculum. Then on the other side, we have um, more of just untethered stuff. So it's everything that either partners or users contribute to the site. And those um, go through, a, when you contribute content, you can do that either on the wiki, and we have different wiki templates. So I'm moving right now from you know, the bar that said find and to the bar that said contribute. So basically, you can go on the site and use one of the wiki templates or from scratch work on the wiki and create content. Or we also made the decision early on to allow people to also contribute links or attachments. So um, instead of making people just work through the wiki, they can also actually work through an attachment. Now, of course, that makes it a little harder to modify their stuff, you know, because you have to actually download the material to make any changes, although it's an open license, so you can do that. But we thought that it was important early on to not put up too many barriers to people's contributions. So we really thought it was important to allow people to come on the site, and if they already had some really cool curriculum material that they created in a piece of software, we allow them to put that attachment on the site so that other people can access it. And we hope that more and more people, as they start doing that and it's a positive experience, they'll be able then to start using the wiki and putting things in a format that's more accessible and more easily modifiable. So the, so the repository consists of people's contributions and also uh, partner contribution and things that we're developing through curriculum development efforts. We have a big um, search feature, which I believe Steve showed uh, a few minutes ago. And the search can be, there's an advanced search that can be filtered a number of different ways through subject, uh, through grade level, through language. Um, you can also sort by whole curriculum units. So if you're only looking for the bigger stuff, not the smaller stuff. And we also have, um, Subject matter experts, and these are all working teachers, master teachers who have been in the classroom a, a long time, reviewing some of the content on the site. So we, we obviously can't scale it to review everything on the site. But they go through the content and pick out that content that is kind of the larger chunks 
and they will give reviews to that content. And it's not just you know one, two, or three. It's really thoughtful comments about how the best way that you can use the material in the classroom would be. So they they don't just say you know yeah this 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 is good, but they'll say this is exemplary material for these reasons, and it would even be better if you could you know bring an orange to class when you're using this. And so they'll really give tips so that it makes the material as useful as possible. And when you're using search, you can sort through. Um, you can you can prioritize those things that have high ratings, so that members can get the the really good stuff, the high quality stuff, right right on. And we're hoping that you know everything on the site is high quality, but it's a it's a user generated content site, and we don't um, we don't put up a barrier to anybody's contributions. We just try to encourage people through our instructional design strategies, through videos on the site, through our templates, to put up the best material possible. And then once it's up, we use the rating system to make it very transparent for people um, what the material is that, you know, how, how good the material is, how useful it might be to them. Um, finally, we have Connect on the site, and that's using our group tools. Uh, those launched about a year ago, and they've been growing very virally. Uh, various people, uh, we have projects going on with a, a large number of pilots, school districts, um, and other programs who use the groups to work collaboratively. You can assign roles in the groups. There's discussion boards in the groups. And so um, several, we, we're in partnership right now and piloting several school districts coming on and using the group tools to actually develop curriculum material. And then that material lives in the repository as well. And when you're working in a group, you can make the group private so you can work together to develop. So for, for example, right now we have a school district in New Jersey who's um, Working, the, the one of the curriculum supervisors works with the teachers, and they put up all of their material weekly in Curriki, and, and the supervisor is able to look at the material that way. Um, and they're building out uh, several subject areas of, of um, curriculum. At the end of the year, once all that curriculum is kind of vetted and approved and they've gone through a process, they're going to make the group public so that other members of the curriculum community can access the work that they've been doing. So those are the kinds of things that people can do in the groups. They're very, very flexible. And you know, people kind of come and go and can use them in different ways. And so our homepage is a, you know, an, an entree into a variety of things. So when we have a new partner or something exciting going on, like uh, we just got this, this really fantastic content from NewsHour. We'll put that up on the on the homepage so that people can kind of see what's going on, and we'll highlight certain pieces of content, certain groups, and so um, you know we update the site regularly and try to to bring people to the the best content that's out there because the site is really very deep, and so you know the content you have to kind of look around and and uh, and see what's out there because there's a lot of, of really good gems. In the, in the site. And I also mentioned that we do have the VidiTalk tool. So we have a lot of text-based material, but we also have video material. Um, and, and people can also upload you know, other kinds of applications to the site as well. So it's been a long time since I've explored Curriki. Um, but it, uh, this is giving me the impression that, in fact, there is a sort of a transition taking place. If, if Curriki originally very much gave the impression of uh, because of the word with wiki um, that this is uh, that this has moved to a place where um, content is being contributed by you know uh, larger organizations being made available and it it doesn't it, at least at the beginning it doesn't really give the sense of um, uh, that a wiki does of feeling 
uh, where someone would be nervous about, you know, how, how, to do, how do I actually have to be interacting with someone else's material or changing it? Has that been an intentional shift? A bit of what you said, Steve, but I think that I caught the drift. I, you know, this is something that we, go, we, we think about all the time and we're trying to strike the right balance. We have the wiki on the site and that is the main way that, that we hope that people will contribute materials. Um, but once you start looking through the materials, you find things in the wiki and you find things, you know, as attachments and you find all sorts of different things. And I think that we're continually trying to strike the balance between um, having really high quality content and, and having everything accessible and as modifiable as possible and everything out there for free and also allowing people to engage and work with the wiki and, and work collaboratively. And I think, um, I think both things are going on in the site. You know, I, I, I guess it's hard maybe to see the view. If, if, you know, if you go into contribute, you can kind of take the pathway if, if, you, um, if you look on the upper on the nav bar in the upper left um, under contribute, if you expand that, you'll see you know there's a there's a, um, a a thing that says add a resource, and if you kind of take that path, you'll see that one of the things that you get. I'm getting an error message, so I'm not exactly sure uh, what's going on, but um, how to do this within Illuminate. But if you add a resource and you look at the add path, you'll see that you know you immediately come in contact with the wiki, and those resources then get produced on the site, and they live in the search tool and, and all of that. So there is um, definitely the ability to have that very collaborative, very homespun, um, very organic growth to the materials on the site, and that's a big part of what goes on. The other part of what goes on is that it's really our goal and our mission to build a comprehensive um, curriculum site. And, and we want to do that in a number of different ways. And you know, one of the strategies is to work with partners and to get you know, their very best stuff on the site for free and, and in a modifiable format. Um, you know, the other strategy is to engage school districts, schools of education, and users in, in the effort of building out these materials as well. So um, you know, so both things are happening. I, I I I don't think I would not say that we've you know had a shift really. I think that it's it's a balance between those two things. We we really have a plan, a, a curriculum roadmap, and it's really a mission for us to make sure that people have access to this high quality material and that it's complete. And on the other hand, we also have a mission, which is to get people to collaborate and engage in the material and work together in a you know hopefully on the wiki and in a collaborative format. So, so I think I think what you're seeing is you know is a balance between those two things. Uh, you know, are are we striking exactly the right balance, and does it look right? I'm I'm not sure. You know, obviously there's a lot of a lot of different ways you can approach that question. Thanks, Ann. So, uh, Karen, let's shift to you, and I'll bring your site up. Uh, I'm intrigued by a comment that's been made in the um, in the chat and the, your response to it. Uh, DFWS, what advice would you give to a superintendent, principal, or curriculum director who'd like to stop buying textbooks? And you say, email me later. I, I'd be interested in hearing your answer now if you're willing. And, and I, while I pull up your site, and then I'll let you do a little brief tour. Okay, um, I'll give a brief answer to that question, but I but I also want to kind of I'm gonna I put a note. I'll post to it this on my blog because I have a lot of thoughts on that. Um, one thing I'd say is if you really want to abandon textbooks quickly, there are not, there are not what um, would be widely considered to be textbook quality K-12 materials to the extent that you would fill a whole curriculum. Um, however, I think 
you know, what I'm seeing in schools is more and more schools going away from a traditional textbook di driven curriculum and going more toward compiling things from all over. And I think that's, that is very doable because there's a lot of stuff. It just, it, you know, it requires an active staff and some people really thinking about curriculum. But I'm actually, I'm involved in working on some projects in that area. So I think, you know, it's, it's close. And for somebody who really wanted to get into it, I certainly would have a, longer and more detailed response. Um, can I get in and do this now? Let's see. So the, the K-12 Open Dictionary is a very specific um, project geared toward um, offering people a, a publicly domain licensed dictionary that can be used for a variety of sources. And this project came in part out of um, just a real fascination with the whole open ed area, but also out of um, doing a lot of open education projects um, and, and just not even open education, but just curriculum projects where people needed um, glossaries. And what I see you know, in this area and others is just people going to the internet and grabbing anything on the internet and not understanding that Legally, that's, that's an issue because it's not open license. And we thought the dictionary would be a good project because it's, it's um, something a lot of people could use, but it's also at a granular level that people could contribute really easily. And one of the things, um, I've done a lot of work on Wikibooks, which is an open textbook site, and one of the things that I've found on that is it's, it's a big task to, some, to ask someone to contribute to an open textbook. But to say, just write a definition for a word, we thought that's something more manageable. So I'm on the site right now. And if, you're, if your screen isn't pulled out wide on your web tour, you might want to pull it out a little wider. Um, I just typed in, in the find window, I typed in the word square. And you can see there are a number of definitions in for this word. So I could go in if I wanted. And I could, if I think of another definition, I could go add a definition. Um, if I wanted to put in other forms of the word um, that will ultimately search and go to this, I can say squares, squared, squaring. So Karen, I think we're not seeing the site in the same form that you are, and that may be because you're logged in. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but at least on my I'm screen, I get, a, I get an error message. So um, one thing we can do is we could actually close the web tour, and if you wanted to, we could have you share your desktop. And we probably have a, you could probably actually walk us through the experience more closely. Do you have a browser open on your computer that you could share with us? Yes. Let me get, okay. I'm and in it. Are you, you seeing it already? Open, no, uh, then go to the top of your, t go to the toolbar in your window, and you'll see a hand that's uh, underneath the screen. Looks like it's holding the screen. And if you click on that, it will give you the choice to share your desktop. Do you see it? It's coming up. I, this is a fascinating idea. I love it. We're, thank you. We're really excited about it. We spend all our spare time defining words, my husband and I do. Can you see my screen now? Okay, I'm hearing yes. So I'm just going to go in and type in a word, square. 
and, and different forms of the word come up, and I can go in and choose a word. And this word already has some definitions. So I could go in and edit these if I wanted. Um, I could go in and add a new definition at the bottom, add other forms of the word, whatever. As soon as I save this, those changes go onto the site, and I can go to another word. Um, I can go randomly um, look for words in an alphabet. Yes, you can edit someone else's definition. So I can go in, I can really go in and edit anything I want. Um, one of the concerns we had with just the collaborative aspect of this and the, the fact that anyone can edit it is some of the things that come about from, from the, the good side of that, but the bad side of that is people can People can put in spam, or people can trash stuff, or just you know put in vandalism. Um, one of the things we are doing right now is we pretty um, carefully monitor it. And what our future plan is is when we have a critical mass of words. Right now we have about 5,000 words defined. Um, when we get a critical mass of words, we're going to be freezing some of the definitions. And ultimately, what they're going to do, what we're going to do is have a frozen version of this that has all been quality screened. Um, we do, you know, we do have some things, some, uh, I think Steve asked about bad language. We do have some, uh, just the basic wiki screening for things. Um, but we monitor it pretty closely. And just like any wiki, you can go in and see recent changes and look at all the changes and that kind of thing. Um, and we do, we do watch it. And um, like I said, we'll be having a frozen version down the road that everyone will know is child appropriate, because that's the primary um, use of this. Um, one other feature I want to show is the um, glossary builder, because this is something we're really excited about. And what it, what it lets you do is enter a list of comma-separated words. So maybe I'm doing geometry, and I want to do circle, square, rectangle, whatever. And then I'm going to build my glossary. And that's going to bring up a list of all the words that are defined against those. And you see some of these have multiple definitions. So if I'm doing circle, I want the geometry definition. I don't want to move around something. Um, for square, again, I want the one that's a square. So I can check off the definitions that I want. If I want, I have an option to include the part of speech in the glossary, but I don't have to. And then when I'm done with that, I can go ahead and build my glossary, and I have a choice of different formats. So I can put um, I can put text format. I can do HTML. I can do RTF, PDF, PowerPoints. Moby Pocket is an ebook format. I can do wiki text, um, and I've got some other choices. And we're really excited about this because we think it's a tool that a lot of people could use just to crank out, and I'll just do a um, RTF file, just to crank out a really quick glossary, and I can download this as a file and paste it into a unit I'm doing or put it into an online course or just kind of anything I want to do with it. So um, that's, that's a way that we're hoping people will use this. And one of the things that um, We've, we've sort of thrown out to people is if they have a glossary that they're working on, they can email us the words and we'll prioritize those for definition. Because right now, everything um, isn't defined. Like I said, we have about 5,000 words, and our target word list that we're working toward is 20,000 words. That's pretty big for a kid's dictionary. I think around 10,000, we're going to have a good critical mass. And there's certain, feature, there's certain areas where we have a lot of words defined because we've done a lot of curriculum development in certain units. So that's kind of um, 
that's kind of an overview of this. If anybody has feedback or a use for this or you have a list of words you want to find, we're really actively working on this and looking to get the word out more. Um, so just, you know, like I said, send or email us comments and that's, that's pretty much the dictionary. So I'm clapping for both of you now for those demos. Um, and I'm, uh, Karen, are you presenting at uh, NECC on this at all? We're actually doing two presentations at NEC um, that are both hands-on presentations. One's in the open source lab and one is a bring your own laptop. And it's going to be specifically on remixing content. And a piece of that will be on remixing dictionary content with other stuff like Flickr photos or stuff like that. And is anybody from Kariki presenting at NECC or will you have uh, presence there? We're hosting a breakfast, um, and I think Christine, if you're on the line and you know something that I don't know, chime in. But I believe we're hosting breakfast, but we are not presenting. So uh, that was really interesting. And what I'd like to do is to now open up for questions. Uh, we have uh, five to seven minutes left. And while we're thinking about questions, you can raise your hand, uh, or you can ask the question in the chat. But uh, can I ask both of you to think about where do you think that we could reasonably be in five years? Uh, what, what vision might we reasonably hold for uh, open content in five years' time? So are there any questions from the audience right now? And I'll, I'll, while, we're, while we're waiting, I'll give a little bit of a plug for uh, NECC Unplugged, which is we're going to have a room at NECC where anybody who wants to can sign up to give a presentation if they didn't get one accepted. So um, please look for that at neccunplugged.com. And, uh, and, and both, Anne, both Anne and Karen, you both are welcome to come and do a little bit more of the kind of stuff we've done tonight. Okay, so Rush said I'm giving you back the mic. And if you started to talk, you started to talk, and then we lost you. How's this? Can you hear me now? Yep. Cool. Uh, Anne, I, I tossed this question into the chat a little bit earlier, um, but and if if you answered it and I missed it, sorry about that. Uh, I'm only so good at multitasking. Um, but uh, I have heard that Kariki is doing some pretty cool things with ministries of education in some countries, uh, kind of some international efforts. That sounds really exciting. And is that is that right? Is that happening? And if so, is it something you can tell us about? Sure. We, we um, have actually several projects going. And I think uh, Christine, actually, who's in the audience, probably could. Is it possible to give her the mic, actually, Steve? Because she can answer the question better than I. I'm giving Christine the mic. And while I'm doing so, Christine, I'm going to let you know that I'm actually in charge of the open source playground. So all you got to do is ask me. And <laughs> we'll make sure you get in there. OK, over to you, Christine. This is the first time I'm using Illuminate. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Oh, yes, uh, Steve, I've actually put in that request to be part of the playground, and I'm so looking forward to it. On the other comments, uh, we do have some international projects. For example, in India, we are working with an organization there, the Premji Foundation, to develop a portal, a teacher portal, to host educational content provided by the Pranjee Foundation in the Hindi 
in uh, Sri Lanka. The curriculum website has been translated to Sinhalese and Tamil. In the Middle East, we're working with several countries in the region to develop an Arabic language site for sharing and developing content for the Arab world. In Indonesia, we've got uh, a huge project where we're working with a, uh, it's an extensive local teacher training uh, project on developing open education resources. We've done one training. We're getting ready to launch another training of teachers. In Europe, our uh, site has become uh, localized and deployed by the InterGeo project, which is an EU-sponsored project, which is an interactive geometry for Europe, um, which makes digital content for mathematics and teaching in Europe more accessible and usable. They've done a great job. And worldwide, um, Kariki has been um, assisting the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs of the State Department. They're going to be developing an online English language program that will be distributed worldwide. But that being a government-led project means it's not going to happen for a couple of years. So that's just a, a small sample of some of the stuff that we are doing. Thanks, Christine. Hey, and be sure, Christine, uh, you I, I, send me an email because I haven't actually gotten that request yet for the open source uh, playground, so be sure to send me a copy of it so I know about it. I just wanted to add. There's also um, some. There's some folks in Europe who are using the Curriki platform to build out their own federated version, and, and they're hosting um, several sites all in, in several European countries on um, in math and science um, using using the Curriki tools. So you know, we're not only trying to get the content out there, but also uh, the the platform in an open source sharing way. Okay, so I've put up the uh, survey for tonight's session. Sure appreciate it if you um, have a chance to fill that out. I'll put the link in the uh, chat as well. Uh, just want you to know that we have some fun uh, interviews coming up in Future of Education. Susan Patrick, Michael Horn, co-author of Disrupting Class, Michael Wesch, the, uh, the amazing Michael Wesch, Chris Didi, John C. D. Brown, David Thornburg. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna clap for our guests tonight. Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Karen. Can you each are you each willing to give us a 30 second overview of where you think we can be in five years reasonably? And let's start with you, Karen. Great. Um, I think my five year vision for where I hope OpenEd is is to have um, a, a large amount of high, really high quality open licensed core curriculum materials that really can be used um, to a large extent to replace textbooks and that can be used to differentiate instruction because I think um, that is absolutely the key to um, future educational success with, with our students. Should I, should I chime in, Steve? Please. So at Curriki, one of the things that we talk about a lot is the Curriki educator. And we see the Curriki educator as somebody who is engaged in, the, um, in what they're teaching and engaged in their curriculum materials. And they're part of the process of developing those materials and customizing them and differentiating instruction by being part of the materials that they present. And our hope is that through collaborative tools, 
through open resources, through curriculum sharing, um, we can really get to a point where uh, all teachers or many more teachers become curriculum educators and become a part of that process so that they're more engaged and that obviously then has an impact on student learning. Okay, well, I have to say um, I think we're going to be going through an incredible period of time in, in our history with regard to uh, publishing and content, and I'm very excited that the two of you are uh, at the forefront in, in helping us make some of these changes. So thanks to you for being here tonight, and Karen, thanks to uh, KnowledgeWorks for sponsoring this uh, interview series. Thanks to those of you who have attended. Thanks to Illuminate for providing the environment. We'll look forward to continued conversation. You can leave comments on the futureofeducation.com site uh, under this event. Um, or look for Ann and Karen online. Thanks, everybody, and have a great night. Thanks.